0: Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Hello, thank you so much. Thank you. You smell so good too. I love the way you smell. Well, the last time I was up here, we were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> if you weren't here, uh, go back and listen to the podcast. We we basically just moved seats, so we sat here for ten years, and now we just sit over there. It's just a little little bit of a gap, uh, and our the transition is going so well. Uh, We love you more than ever before. We we love this staff and this team into 10,000 years. We love the bride of Christ more than ever before. We're enjoying looking at her from another seat. And she is beautiful in all her ways, in all her ways. So it's going good. So now we come to church for free. And we love you so much. This is where we come to church for $0. And it's our first time in 20 years um, that we try to get here on time because we have so much time in the morning. <laughs> so we've just felt all your love and support um, as we've just been launching into a new season of uh, owning a new assignment Jesus has given us from this home as an expression of this home. And we're, we're launching leadership groups. We've launched two, and we're launching one more in August. We have a couple seats left in that August group if you want to apply on our website. It's going good. It's going so beautiful. And, you know, about a year ago uh, in the fall of 2022... I was spending some time with the Lord, and I really felt like he told me as I was just processing our our finances. Anybody ever do that with the Lord? (laughs) And uh, he said, um, you're going to give more to Bethel Atlanta in your tithes and your offering than you make. And at the time, this was our sole source income, pretty much. So I was like, whoa. You know, that, we're, wow, wow, how are you going to do that? And then this transition happened, and it took it all the way down to zero dollars. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you are so creative. We are going to give this year abundance. to Bethel, Atlanta, than we ever could have thought, dreamt, or imagined. So this is the place uh, we are rooted and grounded to give the best of who we are, to give the first of who we are, and we are constantly inspired by who you are. So, good stuff. Let's open up to 1 Samuel um, 14 today. And uh, I have just been mulling over this passage for a couple months. So we're just going to have a little bit of a group meditation, okay? So, uh, you know, this is, this is the story about Jonathan and his armor bearer. How many of you are familiar with this story? It's a favorite for sure. And um, the context of what's happening here. Uh, When you just look into chapter 13 is the people of God are at war with the Philistines and they are grossly outnumbered uh, in people and um, in their weaponry. So it, it says in 13 verse 19, now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel Uh, For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. So (laughs) when you look into the context, uh, Israel was fighting with farm tools that were not sharp. And the Philistines had swords and spears. And there was way more of them. They were like uh, the sand on the seashore. And it says in verse Twenty-two. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword near nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. So the only two people that had a sword were the king and his son. So that's the context of what we're about to dive into here in chapter 14. And basically... <sighs> Um, the Hebrews were hiding. The people of God were hiding. They had dug holes and were literally hiding in holes um, because of the reality of their scenario, okay? So chapter 14, verse 1. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, come. Let us go over to the Philistines' garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And so if you jump down to verse 5, uh, or, or verse, f- so they they basically get up, him and his armor bearer, and uh, they leave without anybody knowing they had left the camp. And in verse 6, verse six it says... Um, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish, Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Uh, So they sneak out of the camp and nobody knows they have left. And Jonathan's like, "Um, God might help us. (laughs) Like, this is not a verse I guarantee any of the people of God have hung on their bathroom mirror. God might help us, declare it, shout it out, believe it. I have a strong maybe in my heart. (laughs) He might help us. And this is his inspirational speech to his armor bearer that he is basically asking, would you come and die with me? (laughs) God might help. <laughs> and and listen, listen what he knows to be true. For nothing can hinder the Lord for saving by many or by few. He doesn't know what's about to happen. Does anybody not know what's about to happen in any area of your life right now? Raise your hand high. God might help you. This is what I came to say today. Maybe he'll help you in your mystery. Okay? That uncertainty, the mystery, is, is uh, not what defined how Jonathan showed up. What defined how Jonathan showed up was. This is what I know to be true about his nature. Numbers and weapons mean nothing in his capability. That nothing about confidence, when it comes to the people of God, is to de- be derived from your capability. From uh, it's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit. Says the Lord, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, some trust in what can tangibly be seen, what is concrete and touchable. The odds are in our favor, and we derive courage and confidence on the earth when the odds are in our favor. But people who know God carry out great exploits because it's in their knowing of what he is capable of that we derive true courage in the kingdom. And in your mystery right now, do not wait to feel good about yourself. In your mystery, do not wait to be gifted enough, to be advanced enough to have better weapons, better systems, better ideas. In your mystery, be wild. Be wild in your trust in what God is like. The greatest act of worship is what you do with your mystery. The greatest act of worship is not the songs that we sing as much as we love them. The greatest act of your worship is the choices you make about who your God is when it's dark outside. When everyone around you is hiding in a hole because you are grossly outnumbered and every odd is stacked Against you. And you've known defeat. You have known loss. And every mystery in your story. Is your divine opportunity. To worship. To surrender. To trust. And you know. The beautiful thing about this is. Uh. He did not ask permission from the king. The king was sitting under a pomegranate tree. And um, the layers of dysfunction described about King Saul in the Bible is helpful and sobering for every leader in the kingdom of God. (laughs) And we're grateful for the honesty in the Bible because it fuels Our own inner development, that not every story in the Bible is intended for you to model your life after. (laughs) I mean, not every verse in the Bible should go on your mirror. (laughs) It's probably not gonna produce a lot of really great fruit. You're like, why isn't this book working? Turn the page, turn the page. The story gets better the farther in you get, (laughs) and you know the the thing about Jonathan here is uh, everyone. When you when you can continue on, his armor bearer said, "Do as you wish. Everything that's in your heart, I am with you, heart and soul." And, and this was Jonathan's plan. We will cross over to them and we will show ourselves to them. <laughs> this, is, this is literally what the Bible says. This is his battle plan. We are going to show ourselves to the enemy. <laughs> so when we get there, we're going to say, here we are. See us. See us. And I think his arm bearer was like, please keep talking. Like, is there, is there something that happens after we show ourselves to the entire garrison of the enemy? Like, all the warriors of the opponent. Is there something that comes next? And he says, yes. If they say, come up to us, then we will go up to them. For the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be a sign to us. We will do what they say. And, uh, and so, so both of them show themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines, this is what they said of them. Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. That is creepy. <laughs> you know, the, This is what we teach our children. Anybody that says, come here. I want to show you something in my black tented van that has no visible windows. Come here. I'm going to show you a thing. You scream and you run in the other direction. (laughs) Don't take the free candy from people offering to show you things. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. For the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer killed them after him. And, you know, so many layers of things happening here. But, you know, Jonathan had a sword, and, and nobody else had a sword. And... You know, it is a model of excellent leadership. And everyone was scared to death with their farm tool hiding in holes. And so often we think leadership is, I motivate you to do the right thing. And true leadership in the kingdom is, I motivate you by showing you the right thing. I And, you know, what he realized here is he left in the middle of the night. There was no uh, inspirational speech to rally the scared people with their farm tools. What he realized is I have an advantage as the son of a king. And, you know, one proof <laughs> that you are... Living in fear as yourself, as a leader, is you are telling everybody else what they should be doing instead of doing what you know you're called to do. And, you know, one of my favorite leadership quotes is, if you're needing to build a bunch of ships, do not... Uh, systematically begin to deliver orders on how to most effectively build this ship and how to most effectively motivate people to build a ship. Teach people to crave the vast, endless sea. Show people what courage looks like. Show people what living fully alive looks like. Teach people to crave visibility by living visible yourself. And Jonathan, uh, you know, it reminds me of when Jesus taught the parable that basically to whom much is given, much is required. And he, he recognized he had something nobody else his people, of, of his people had. And true, true leadership in the kingdom uh, is service. And how many of us have have heard that? Leadership is service. And we believe that because uh, Jesus modeled that. And Jesus is our highest model of pure leadership. We get into problems uh, when we... um, are unintentionally serving people into staying in their hole. So, Justin and I last summer celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. And so we went to a resort for the very first time in our lives. And has anybody ever been to a resort? You just sit there and people bring you everything. And you're like, I'll have another one of those. I'll have another one of those. And uh you don't even have to move all day long if you don't want to move. But, like, we're in a cabana. We're we're literally being served uh 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if we if we wanted it. But were we there seven days? We were there seven days. Um And in in the context of what's happening here, if Jonathan would have treated uh, the people of God like his role was to serve them in uh, their stuck place, their hole would become a cabana. And I'm just bringing you more drinks. I'm here to make you feel good about yourself. And... Unintentionally, um, I need things as a leader to feel good about me. I need you to like me. I need you to approve of me. I need you to feel good about me. And when I'm making you feel good about you, I can feel good about me. The heart of true service of a leader is you make comfortable living very uncomfortable in your presence. Not by telling people what they should or should not be doing, but by climbing out of your hole yourself. And in the middle of the night, picking up what you've been given and paying a price for the people you serve to benefit from what you have been given. And true service looked like Jonathan laying his life down with the potential maybe some people could get set free. And, you know, the, <laughs> the truth is is that in the kingdom, our enemy will never be people. So Jesus was a defining moment in what battle looks like. And not a single human being on this earth is our enemy. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so our enemy that keeps us stuck in holes is the spirits, the demonic influence tormenting the people of God. And, you know, I was listening to this talk the other day and and it, it said that the number one fear that humans navigate So, for in in this language, the number one battle that we're in with a spirit of fear um, is is the fear of humiliation, the fear of being humiliated. And you know, when you really think about what humiliation is, it is a feeling of of shame. A feeling of being ashamed. And it is an experience that diminishes your dignity. And you lose respect for yourself. And so when we look at, you know, the beginning of our story with Adam, what happened? They hid because of a spirit of shame. They were naked and unashamed. They were visible in their purest state. And then, you know, they, they were deceived by a snake. And their, their dignity was diminished when they chose to believe the deceiver over their creator. And... It is impossible to be set free from a spirit of fear, from the fear of being humiliated without being visible. And it is impossible to be visible to the hugeness of your God without being visible to your enemy. And in order for Jonathan to put a demand on who he knew God was, his plan was, here I am. And they climbed up, the Bible says, on their hands and feet to get to the enemy. And um, when you're climbing up on your hands and your feet, you, you hold no weapon. You are completely vulnerable. And so it's a picture of absolute trust in facing what was tormenting the people of God. And, you know, experiences, the, the only reason we fear humiliation is because we've been humiliated. And when we have those experiences of humiliation, like uh, we experience rejection, we experience abuse, we experience um, poor choices that impact the quality of our life, we experience the inability to be with ourselves when we are humiliated. And, you know, this is why it's impossible to heal a spirit of shame, a spirit of humiliation without the eyes of another, without being visible to God and to your torment. And, you know, the the beautiful thing about this story is Jonathan decided... I would rather put my life at risk than to hide in a hole any longer. I would rather risk everything I am than to be bullied in a hole, humiliated by my enemy any longer. And it is impossible to advance without this kind of vulnerability. Where you actually make yourself visible to what could potentially be very humiliating. Where you put yourself in scenarios where you could be rejected, where you could fail. And you know, so often, We are funneling our choices through the thoughts, perceived or real, of the people around us. And the only reason we anticipate being shamed by others when we take wild risks, when we follow fully in the way of Jesus, when we lay all of our dignity down and say, I have decided... I would rather risk it all than hide in this hole any longer. The thing that holds us back in anticipating how we will be viewed by the world around us, um, we anticipate being shamed, being humiliated, um, because we ourselves are living in shame on the inside. So you think of others, you project your own inner thoughts. I feel so embarrassed for them that they went for it and failed. When you're thinking that thought, you are projecting that in your hesitation to take risks yourself. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they're going through that. I feel so embarrassed for them. That's your own uh, inner navigating system that's letting you know the measure that you use to judge is the same measure that's happening on the external world. And true freedom uh, is not that I don't care about what people think. True freedom is I do not receive my dignity from what people think. I do not receive my confidence from what people think. I do not direct the assignment on my life by what people think. And every place the enemy has wounded me and stolen from me is the very place God is asking me to show up and be visible. To show up and be seen and risk In the way of trusting him, risk in the way of um, any area where I have shrunk my life to the size of a hole and am praying for a magical deliverance is not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel requires you climb up with your hands and feet in complete vulnerability. And so often we find ourselves having to work through feelings of betrayal, feelings of abandonment. Because we're not realizing I'm praying for rescue from a hole that I was never born for. I'm praying for deliverance, thinking God is wanting to save me from this hole. And to co-reign, to co-labor means I, I lay down my life in pursuit of the fullness of what Jesus has for us. And I make myself visible to God and to my enemy. You know, Graham Cook says, um, both God and your enemy are measuring you for a casket. <laughs> your enemy wants to annihilate you, you tormenting him. With the fullness of the resurrected nature of Jesus on your insides all the days of your life. And and God is measuring you for uh, the death of everything that keeps you stuck in a place of hiding and spiritualizes it. And if you spiritualize the whole, you will never get out of it humility and hiding are not the same thing. And Jesus came and he said, you know, the kingdom is like a master who came and he handed out talents. Some got 10, some got 5. One got one. And, you know, the guy who got very strong feedback, On the verge of scary was the guy who dug a hole and buried it the quality of your life in this moment is not in your possessions it's not in your gifts it's not in your talents it's not in the favor on your life the quality of your life is a hundred percent determined by your inner life. Your view of the master, the, the one who hid it in a hole, saw the master as mean and greedy. Your potential and the mark you make on human history is not defined by if you're the guy that has ten, the guy that has five, or the guy that has one. It's marked on what am I doing with what I've been given? I have one sword. What am I doing with it? And nobody else, you know, the master doesn't come back and compare you to the guy who got ten. He, he, didn't, he doesn't do any comparison. And... When you stand before the king, no one will be on your right and left. You will have the attention of Jesus. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I put in your hand? Did you diminish it because it was less than the guy next to you? Or did you steward it with all of your strength, with all of your might, as an expression of worship to the king? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. We are not leading at a resort in Cancun. We are leading in a war. And, you know, uh, uh, last month, everyone was gone except for me and Libs. Because the older girls were at youth camp with our favorite youth pastors. She got up a shake And so uh, Libs and I went on a date into the city. And she mapped out, I mean... Every second it was planned for. (laughs) And um, it was beautiful. And we went into the city at one point and we went to this toy shop. And uh, she was buying this little toy. And the lady, the young girl, actually, um, checking us out, she had a beard on her chin. And I hadn't been into the city in a while, and it was Pride Month, so it was all a little shocking uh, for my, my current sphere of leadership um, revolves leaders like you, <laughs> and uh, it's a different demographic that I primarily serve. And um, there was such a tender kindness in her eyes, and my entire heart broke Um, In that moment, because she didn't know she was being humiliated by an enemy that's looking to steal, kill, and destroy the revelation of a father that belongs to her. And so the next morning, I was just sitting with the Lord over my cup of coffee, and I was just weeping over our city. I was weeping over our city uh, in the realization that we are in a war. And the way that we advance in the kingdom is by by restoring within us the dignity that has been diminished. And if we do not do the deep inner work of recognizing the holes I myself am hiding in out of a fear of humiliation, I will not be moved with compassion. I will judge as I myself am being judged. And until I can sit with my own shame, And be as kind and as merciful as Jesus. I will not be able to sit with the shame of the world. And manifest a deliverer. Manifest a redeemer. Who wins. And true leadership. In this hour of human history. Requires the advancement to take place within. Or we will unintentionally be the ones um, putting those caught in the very act of adultery in the middle of our circle and throwing stones instead of using our body as a shield to the weapons of the enemy. Every area That you have been humiliated. Is craving a redeemer. That you would know the freedom of the perception of Jesus when he looks at you. And you know, they won this battle. They, and, and the Bible says, that the garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. That the earth was actually responding to God meeting this wild courage with an earthquake. This is, it, Romans 8 says, the earth is groaning. For sons and daughters of the living God to arise out of their holes and shine. To lift up the light of my countenance on a generation and say everything that has diminished you, Jesus is looking at. And you know, Jesus would walk the earth generations later. And just like Jonathan, he would leave the camp and he would head up to a lonely hill. And he would choose to lay down his entire life to set you free. And Hebrews 11 says, Hebrews 12, says, let us throw off everything that's keeping us stuck everything that's keeping us tangled up and bound up stuck in holes we were never born for and how do we do that by looking at Jesus is what Hebrews 12:2 says look at Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross Despising the shame. And what that means is on the cross, Jesus endured everything that humiliated you. He was not on the cross for himself. He endured, he felt, he is our great high priest that did not just see with his eyes the abuse your body endured, the rejection, the moments where the perception of somebody else diminished your dignity. He did not just look at it, he became it he became every moment where you lost respect for yourself because of the choices you made you know this is this is why things like uh, looking at pornography we feel such a, a an intense amount of humiliation because we are diminishing the dignity of humanity The dignity of the humans on the screen and your own dignity. This is why violating your character, hiding, being deceitful, all all the things about our inner world. We feel such heavy shame because we're diminishing our own dignity. And... You know, this is where Judas, he could not tolerate his own shame because of the choices he was making in secret that he ended his life. And so much of the torment binding us up is because there's there's there is parts of our inner world that are not in integrity. They're not in an integrated place. That who I am in heaven is how I live on the earth. And this is why step one is making decrees about who we are. But if that is all you do and you continue to live in a hole, everything within you is calling you a liar. If every day you wake up and you say, I'm courageous, and you stay in the hole, your brain never rewires. And, and science is, is revealing what, what the Bible has been telling us, that we, our identity is rewired Not just by how we think and what we say, but the choices we make. And the highest act of your worship are your choices. That out of all of creation, humanity is set apart in this one way. I have the capacity to choose. I have the capacity to choose to live in integrity with who Jesus says I am. And Judas, he couldn't see the option of making himself visible to God and his enemy. And and ultimately lost so much respect for himself, that he ended his life. He did not have the capacity to see there is a God who could absorb my shame. He was in the room when Jesus was absorbing the shame of people's sexual sin. He, he was in the room when Jesus was absorbing Zacchaeus' sin. He, he was getting an up-close visual aid that when the whole world looks away, Jesus draws close. And what shame does is it hides the possibility that I could be received like this. That I could come home like this. And and this is what's so beautiful about the parable of the extravagant father, is that the son that had been eating out of pig's troughs, he comes into his right mind because he has a thought not about himself, But he has a thought about the father. He has a thought about the generosity of his father. He says, even my father's servants live better than this. And the thought about the father causes him to begin his journey home. And he doesn't have access to a shower. He doesn't have access to a new outfit. He comes home smelling like his shameful choices. And the father wraps his arms around him and kisses the face that has been eating out of a pig trough. Wraps his robe around him. Puts his crown on his head. His sandals on his feet. And says this, just like this. This is my son. And until you come home just like this, you will continue to shrink your life to the size of a hole. What makes us brave is not our inner character structure. What makes us brave is not our accurate thinking. What makes us brave is the experience of our father. I don't know what's about to happen, but I know none of this is an impossibility for my father. When the whole world is in a famine, I know in my father's house There's plenty. And so this morning, if if everybody could just stand up. I just want to charge us to recognize you are the son of the king. And you have a sword in your hand. And true service is recognizing where am I living in a fear of, of being humiliated. And you know that verse in Hebrews twelve ten, it says, Jesus despised the shame. He felt Everything you have endured in your story, every moment when your dim- dignity was diminished, he endured it on the cross. In your health, in your finances, every, every moment you have felt shame, he felt it as you. And the Bible says that he didn't, that, you know, he did not even think in lines of shame is what that verse means. He did not have to funnel his thoughts and choose not to be ashamed of you. He despised the shame. He did not give shame a moment Of attention. When he was hanging. Naked. On your behalf. In your shame. And we are set free. From a spirit of humiliation. When we recognize. Jesus. Has seen. Every moment. I have felt diminished. Less than. And he. He has never been ashamed of me. And true courage erupts, not from your thoughts about yourself or the thoughts other people have of you. True courage erupts when we recognize the thoughts Jesus has towards me in my lowest moment. This is, this is the strategy. Look to him. Look to him. So I just want to end our time just singing a little song together. Um, Summer, can you start us in a key that is um, singable? Uh, <laughs> for uh, turn your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Do you know that one? But just down a little lower. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you are.